right, welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And joining us on the other line today are previous guests of the show who have been on probably four or five times at this point. So many, countless. But it's Jordan and Catherine Short. Guys, welcome back to Vernacular. Wow, thank you for having us. Thank you. We are going to talk about The Crown today. And we've talked about this show previously with this with these guests, Jordan and Catherine. Two times before. They are our uh, our pop culture experts. And when we need to need to go to something on pop culture, we either call the shorts or Josh and Maureen Goldman, who run the podcast. So uh, Sally and I are pretty pop culture. I guess we try to be pop culture literate, but we also are humble enough to recognize that there are others. We need to call in the, way the more big literate. guns, the experts, whatever. Yeah. So we're, so we're calling in the big guns today. Yeah. Jordan and Catherine, <laughs> uh, welcome back. When was the last time you were on here? I was thinking about this before we, I, I think introduced it was the this. last crown. This season. is probably something I should have looked up before, uh, before I started recording. <laughs> it was like a year ago, December when the crown season two ended, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Here we go. The Crown season two. Oh, I'm so proud of this title. I remember this. It's still not easy being queen. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll have to get a little more creative this time. Brilliant. Um, still, still not easy being queen. Yeah. <laughs> still. <laughs> or just just like italicize. It's still not easy being queen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was uh, actually that was May 21st, 2018. Oh, so okay. it has been a year and a half, more than a year oh, and a half wow. since Too you guys long. joined us. Well, there was a longer gap between the start of season three. Yeah, we had to wait a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it also probably feels like shorter a shorter span of time because we we've hung out more recently than that. Right. right. <laughs> <That's> so, <true. laughs> so. Good point. Well, it's funny too that when just to Catherine's point about the longer gap. It's funny when you watch a, a show or a movie and you think it's really good, right? Like the Star Wars, you know, movies come to mind. You do, you want the next one that's uh, that's in the series to come out, and you're just like, why is it taking so long? I don't understand. Why does it take a year and a half to do ten super high quality uh, episodes, Emmy worthy episodes, <laughs> yeah. uh, period dramas? And you don't see all of the work that's going into it. Really, I think in retrospect, uh, eighteen months uh, for a production timeline to kick out 10 episodes of this quality of cinema is is pretty impressive totally agree yeah well i think that leads us to our first question which is is this season as good as the previous two seasons what do you guys think well I, just before we, you answer that okay, jordan yeah. Catherine, i will kick it over to you but i wish one i just want to say to our listeners that uh it's fitting that jordan Catherine are the experts here because they've seen the entire season sally and i have seen oh, yes. five of the 10 episodes so we're, we're still working our way through it we have preliminary thoughts, uh, but we don't have final judgments, I guess you could say. So uh, everything that Sally and I say uh, is going to be kind of tempered by the fact that we've seen half of the season at this point. Um, so anyway, with that, Jordan and Catherine, better or worse or the same than the first two seasons? I think it took me longer to get into this season than the others. I think production-wise, acting-wise, it all fell up to par to me. I think the overall story arc was a little hard to uh, get into. So in that sense, it's maybe not as good as season one, but I think it still fits in properly. Hmm. What are your thoughts, Jordan? That's good. I, as a whole, I don't know if there was as strong of a narrative 
throughout the season as maybe season one or season two. Like a narrative linking the episodes together, like a story arc sort of? This is a little more episodic uh, in nature, I think, um, season three is. And, you know, that being said, I think there were some... Some episodes in this season are some of my favorite of the entire series. I really found some of the shorter storylines to be pretty impactful. Um, so I, I, I liked it. But, you know, it's difficult because I'm not as old as these characters anymore. In season one and season two, they were closer to my age. So I think I resonated we resonated with them more as younger people. Now that they're older, there is a little bit more of a distance, you know, but that being said, I still, still liked it. Yeah. I also think this time period is interesting. It seems it was maybe slightly more of a maintenance time period for the queen herself. For the queen herself. And also the younger two children. So she had four children Charles, Anne, and then 10 years later, she has two more boys. And so kind of in the 60s and 70s, she actually took a step back from her public life in comparison to when Anne and Charles were younger. Oh, interesting. Um, And that was something I Googled after the fact. And also I noticed that Season three covers 1964 to 1977, which is a pretty big jump and is about five years more than both season one and season two. So I think that kind of plays into why there's some really strong episodes, but it's hard to really carry them and make it seem that you need to watch them in order. Yeah, I think both of those points are absolutely correct that it's less serial and more episodic in that the episodes stand alone. Yeah, I'm just like nodding along with everything you guys are saying. Yeah, and Jordan, to your point about the characters being older now, I, watching the first two seasons, could just sympathize so much with Philip and Elizabeth, played by Claire Foy and Matt Smith, and even to some degree Vanessa Kirby, because they're our age and they're going through some of the struggles that young people do. And they're wrestling with their fame, whether it be desired in Vanessa Kirby slash Margaret's case or not in Claire Foy slash Elizabeth's case, um, or sort of like, you know, you're ambivalent about it in Philip's case. Um, and then, and then now, Catherine, to your point, we are sort of in a maintenance phase. There's not a change of regime. There's not a new queen ascending the throne. There's not people who are sort of jockeying for position uh, and figuring out their roles. They are sort of, um, they're in a maintenance phase in as far as the monarchy goes. Now there are obviously big things that happen in the span between 64 and 77. And each of those, each of these episodes deals with something like that, like the moon landing, for example, in the moon dust episode. Um, but they're not, it's not about a change in regime per se. It's, it's about the monarchy sort of navigating or helping its country navigate these important events. Right. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I agree that, um, with Catherine that everything in terms of the acting and the quality of the episodes all felt as good as, if not better than season one and two. Um, I 
I didn't have a hard time kind of getting into it, maybe because it was episodic, because each episode I was just like, wow, this is incredible. I didn't feel like I needed to move on super quickly to the next one, which may be why we're only five episodes in. But each one, I've really been on the edge of my seat, just like, wow, this is about a part of history that I didn't live through, that I wasn't aware of. And they are really delivering these powerful stories and uh, acting performances. Um, I, I will say that while on the whole, I don't have an emotional connection to the characters now that we have these new and older actresses and actors. I, um, I, there were like, there's been moments in each of the episodes where I've felt for different characters, but I'm not like gunning for anybody throughout the whole season. Um, but I think, I guess one question I did have about their acting performances is that it seems like every, um, almost everybody, at least all the major characters of the crown are kind of more subdued in their performances. And I don't know if that's because A, they're older or B, they are different actors and actresses or C, they are just more British. (laughs) Um, Or all the above. Yeah. Or D, maybe the, the plot is such that in this, I like that idea of the maintenance mode there. They, it's not as dramatic as the first two seasons. And or they're just worse actors and actresses, which I don't think is the case. Um, so I think it has to be one of the other ones that I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, the, the great Olivia Coleman uh, is really, really good in everything that we've seen her in, including The Crown. But to me, her acting performance is much less compelling than anything that Claire Foy did in seasons one and two. And that's not a knock on Coleman at all. It's just the way that that she's portraying this character at that time in her <clears throat> life. Right, right. Like, so, I wonder if we put Claire Foy and made her, you know, look older, if she had to play the queen now, if she would play it similarly to Olivia or if, or if that's just Olivia's style, I don't know. No, I mean, I think your, your observation about maybe it's just them being British is, is important too. I mean, Jordan and Catherine, you guys have been to England, Sally, we lived there. It's <laughs> British people are very reserved in their emotions and you're likely to see a little bit less of that the younger the person is. But as they as they grow older and achieve their station in life, they're more likely to be more reserved and less likely to display their emotions to anyone who's watching. And so I do get this sense in season three that we are seeing a sort of closing off in a way of the interior lives and minds of these characters. And to me, as a viewer, maybe to you guys as well, to me, that's that's less compelling because I mean, I don't want want a soap opera, but I want to I want to sort of feel engage with these characters as I watch them go through what they're struggling with and quite the opposite is happening in this season and I, I do think it's by design I mean I just think about the episode Aberfan, which is a, a remarkable episode about a an, an event in history that I had no idea of before watching this episode yeah, the, same. the um uh the the you know burying of a Welsh town under a mudslide uh, and killing a ton of children in a school horrific stuff but the whole episode really was about the queen's inability to like truly show her emotions and empathize and feel with the people who suffer through that. And so as a viewer watching that, it was very, very difficult for me to empathize with Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth. And that's just not a problem I ever had in seasons one and two with any of the main cast. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a very astute observation. I, not knowing these characters personally, obviously, 
I feel like this show is helping us see a little bit more of their interior lives and that interior struggle. And at this period in time, as Catherine mentioned before, they were more removed. And so that struggle for them on the inside was how do I connect with the public? Because I've become even more removed than I was in my youth, right? Both Philip and Elizabeth are more removed. And I think this season, you know, this season goes up to 77, right? Catherine, that's what you said, 77. Yeah, yep. And so to me, this is actually setting up perfectly the tension for what's coming up in the lives of the royal family. And that is Princess Diana coming in and showcasing how detached the royal family was from the average person. And so one of the reasons why the people loved Diana so much was she tore down those walls that had been slowly building up over the previous decade or two between the royal family and everyone else. So I think this is actually, it's this season of the crown is doing its job in showing us this more detached life that Elizabeth and Philip are leading. And I think, you know, as this season progresses, you actually, you see more and more how detached they are and how that affects, affects their relationship with uh, Margaret and the Prince of Wales, Charles. And I think it gets more and more interesting um, to watch as the season progresses. So I think it's, it's doing the feelings that we're feeling of detachment are exactly what the creators are wanting us to feel. That's my belief. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I will say that on that point, Jordan, I'm excited to watch the rest of the season because I suspect that there may be a, a little bit of a substantive shift in how that is all portrayed because we haven't gotten to the Charles stuff yet. There's the there's Margaretology, the early episode about um, Margaret, but we haven't gotten to the later stuff that you just alluded to. And I was looking at the list of episodes. Uh, we've seen the first four. All of those are directed by Benjamin Karen, who directed three of the episodes in season two. Um, and then those are the only ones that he directs in season three. So uh, episodes five and six are directed by Christian Shuoko. And then episodes seven, which we have seen, and 10 are directed by Jessica Hobbs, and eight and nine are by Sam Donovan. So, um, uh, Peter Morgan wrote or at least co-wrote all of the episodes so it's at least the same writer or same writing team but the directors are different and I wonder if that plays a role in how the differences are portrayed I did feel like we've seen one two three four and seven I did feel like seven had a little bit of a different feel in how it explores some of the, these ideas and I did think that we were getting more of a glimpse into the mind of Philip as he deals with specifically you know feelings of insecurity and uh, valuelessness in the face of these three American astronauts who went up to the moon. Whereas in the first four, you you wouldn't get that insight as much. You would just get these really slow 
camera takes or like slow camera, I don't know, zooming in or zooming out on someone's face while they were just emoting in some very subdued way. (laughs) I just remember, I mean, there's just at least, I think, I think I can think of two instances at least where we're just slowly zooming in or zooming out and just nothing's really happening, but I can't look away because I just am trying to figure out what's going on inside their mind. Yeah, I think I, I totally understand what both of you are saying. And I think honestly, for me, like I love Aberfan. I think that, I mean, that episode rocked me, like rocked both of us. As, yeah, it was like, pretty, parents. Yes. it was yes. pretty like, powerful. Like I was bawling on the couch and just like, I, it was a lot. But as soon like, but those first, you know, four or so episodes were a little more dry in general with Aberfan being the exception. But then episode six signified or didn't signify it. It basically embodied a shift in the season for us. Mm -hmm. And it it talks about Charles um, going to Wales and, and his experience in Wales and that it was like the first five episodes were kind of going up the big hill on the roller coaster and season six is us hitting that crest and starting to go down and the ride really starts to take off just to orient our listeners season or episode six is is the one with the impossible to pronounce welsh name the tuasog kimru right yeah, I didn't. Yeah, your guess is as good as ours. That's why they sent yeah. Charles there so I'm that you can learn the, the language. I'm looking at the Wikipedia synopsis. Elizabeth decides to take Charles away from university at Cambridge. That's the one. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. And there is one moment where Queen Elizabeth is talking to Prince Charles. I don't know if it was this episode, the Welsh episode, or if it's somewhere along. But she basically says the people don't want us to be emotional like they don't that's not why we're here or at least that's her view the crown is supposed to be neutral and maybe this was an Aberfan yeah I think I I, she's definitely said something like that in Aberfan so yeah I agree with you yeah and I I feel like there might have been another conversation where she had it with Charles later on but it does give you a very it kind of shows us an interesting like way of looking at all of this family and then actually how it's playing out sort of in present day and people not wanting to, you know, continue how things are going. And in her opinion there, I'm not here for them to know my personal opinion. The crown is supposed to be neutral. So she herself seems a little bit neutral sometimes. To the detriment of her family occasionally. Right. Even though it's all well-meaning and she's wanting to be a good mother and and, and whatnot. But yet I have this thing and I have to keep it going whether or not I feel like it. You know, that's kind of seems to be her take on, you know, being the crown. Yeah, this is maybe neither here nor there, but I think it's at least slightly related to what we've said. One thing that I'm missing in season three is the love between Philip and Elizabeth. Like, it's true that it was not all. Uh, rainbows and butterflies in seasons one and two, and they definitely had moments of friction and and some some kind of 
dicey moments in their relationship. But it seems like they lost some of that intensity that we were left. I mean, lost like, all of it. Like yeah. there's, there, there seems to be really no affection anymore between the two of them. Which is, it seems like a sharp change from season, end of season two. It does. And so you're left kind of wondering what happened here. And now I think we can sort of fill in the blanks so we can see how people in these very high profile positions that are constantly under a lot of stress uh, would sort of go their separate ways, remain married, of course, for the sake of keeping up appearances, but lose their passion for one another. But that's that's still a gap that I feel like is is left with the dots unconnected. And it also is something that, that makes it a little bit less compelling to watch because it's fun to watch two figures who are deeply in love and you can empathize with their ups and downs in their relationship. It's a lot harder to watch two people who are, as far as we can tell, almost entirely emotionally detached from one another. I think some of that love comes out a little more later. Um, you know, we just watched, we rewatched um, episode nine, Imbroglio. Uh, and in that episode, a subplot of that episode is Elizabeth and Philip's 25th wedding anniversary. Okay. And um, there's some interesting moments there but I, I i do agree with you overall right like there's less overt passion um between them and yeah yeah I, I i totally see that but i think it's just their love is taken on a different form like there's still beautiful moments between them but it's just different okay let's zero in on this would be hard <laughs> favorite episode and your favorite moment, so favorite episode of the season or of what you've watched in our case, favorite moment of the season. So it doesn't have to be in your favorite episode. And then in your favorite episode, who's your MVP? And Zach, you can tell us who are, what it means to be an MVP. Yeah, sure. So we, we use this MVP construct in Breaking Pod, our podcast about Breaking Bad that I do with Josh Goldman. And the MVP is, it's not the same thing as like an Oscar for best actor uh, or best actress. It's not the person who has the hands down slam dunk best acting performance. It's also not the person who is like most central to the plot. So it's not the central character of the storyline either. It's the person without whom this show or episode would not carry the same power that it does for you. So it could be an auxiliary character who um whose performance via acting and you know the 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 role that they play in the plot of that episode just really carries it through. I mean, one one example is in Breaking Bad. We did an episode recently where Jane, who's a relatively auxiliary character to the show, won our MVP award just because of the way that she sort of teased out these qualities for the viewer in the main character in that episode, Jesse. So um, Jane, even though she was relatively tangential to the plot, was was the MVP for us because without her, without her presence in the episode, we would have totally missed the central thing, the central theme, the central ideas of the episode. So that's what the MVP means. Got it. All right. So let's start with you guys. Favorite episode of the season. I do think that the Welsh episode is my favorite episode. The one that I cannot pronounce. (laughs) The um oh oh yeah, yeah. Uh, episode six yes okay I thought yes. you meant Aberfan because that's that's another Welsh one as well but that's a little easier to pronounce that is true. <laughs> slightly easier <laughs> okay well so we haven't seen that episode but you can spoil it away for us Catherine so give us a quick synopsis of this episode and why you like it 
I think that at this point in time, also, I was ready for Charles, Prince Charles to come in. It also just like the episode itself felt fresh. As Jordan said, it kind of was a shift in the season. And so that was probably another reason why I really enjoyed it. Um, I also really enjoy the actor who plays Prince Charles right now. I'm not sure what his name is at the moment. Josh O'Connor. Okay. And yeah, I just think that Prince Charles is a really interesting character slash real person. And it was also interesting. They don't spend as much time um, kind of connecting Charles to his uncle who uh, abdicated the throne or his great uncle who is also the Prince of Wales. Ah, And so there's some, they tie in things and I don't know. I just really enjoyed. I just really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. So who's your MVP for that episode? It's probably the professor. There's a particular professor that just is not happy. You know, this in the past, people who had been Prince of Wales, like they kind of would come in, give their big speech and then never come again. And so the people would just just kind of felt like they were second class citizens, you know, and this professor was just not. He was not um, interested in. Just pretending like this was all the most amazing thing, you know, Mm -hmm. he really. Well, why don't you give a little bit of synopsis? You you haven't given a synopsis. Okay, well, you you say it. You'll be better. <laughs> okay. So the synopsis of this episode, episode six, where Prince Charles is sent away to Wales, is is a really interesting character study of Charles and the things that he was wrestling with, uh, both within his family and also the outside pressures that have been placed upon him. And so he goes to Wales in order to kind of indoctrinate himself into Welsh culture and to learn a little bit more about Welsh um, society and culture. Well, he goes to this university and the professor that he's put under uh, for tutelage is not very pleased that he got stuck with the Prince of Wales (laughs) because... The Welsh attitude at the time was um, kind of resentful toward England and toward the crown. And they felt like, as Catherine mentioned, they were second class citizens and not really taken into consideration at all by the ruling class. And so he was definitely not a loyalist uh, to the crown, uh, this professor. And so there's a really interesting relationship that uh, occurs between them and the characters, both the professor and Charles, learn and grow together uh, in a very dynamic and interesting way. Yeah, and I think even present day, Prince Charles has gone back to Wales the most out of any previous Prince of Wales. So he's really stuck with, I mean, I don't exactly know if all those conversations he had with a professor were 
you know, word for word or anything, but it does seem as though just his track record that he took it um, seriously, that he didn't want to just do this one speech one time and never go back. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't just Prince of Wales in name only, but he wanted to actually be the Prince of Wales. I respect that. It's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be very strange to bear the title of a place that you had barely ever visited and right. whose people you didn't know at all. I, I understand that desire for sure. All right. So is that your, wait, that wasn't your joint favorite episode, right? So Jordan, you want to tell no. us your favorite episode? <laughs> Uh, my favorite episode, it's a very close, it's a close race. I really liked episode seven, Moondust. Nice. Where it focuses on Prince Philip and the moon landing and his feelings of inadequacy and purpose or lack thereof and his relationship with this, um, clergy that he he comes in contact with that that was really interesting but that's not my favorite my favorite is episode nine imbroglio which is just a fascinating family drama um because that's when they push back against charles and his relationship with camilla yes yes and it's it sounds like juicy. That, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's juicy. And you know, the relationship never really should have happened. Um, <laughs> there's a love triangle with Anne. Oh no! Pops up in an earlier episode and, and comes it's to all fruition. Real life. <laughs> wow! It's all real life. And uh, it's um, yeah, I think the title says it all. Imbroglio. Yeah. It's it's really fascinating and. I loved it. And I think the heartbreak um, is really palpable. And I think Charles is a tragic, a real life tr mm -hmm. tragic character. Yeah, there's definitely a specific narrative that we're supposed to take. I mean, I do think that the showrunners, they're taking Charles in a very specific way. Mm. So we're supposed Whether to empathize, not all of it, empathize with him more than yeah, it did. Well, they do want you to empathize with him. Whether or not you know he had much to do. I mean, he also he himself chose to marry someone else and also had affairs. So it's not like he's completely without fault. But at least his younger self, you know, there just was a lot of sadness. It makes sense that he turned out the way that he did mm. if these episodes are to be believed. Yeah. So is he the MVP of that episode? Do you think? No, I think Anne is the MVP of that episode. Ooh, nice. Um, she's barely in it at all, but she shows up and she just lights her scenes on fire. Like she's in like two scenes, maybe no three. There's a short one at the beginning. And then uh, a few towards the end. And yeah, I just, I just loved it. Cool. That sounds great. I can't wait till we get to that one. I'm right. going to, I'm going to use your, uh, your honorable mention, Jordan, as a <laughs> jumping off point, because your honorable mention episode seven moon dust is my favorite one that I've seen so far of mm -hmm. the five that I've seen. And uh, you gave a good, a good quick summary of it. 
But I really, I, I liked it for a number of reasons. One, because as I've said on this podcast before, I love space race stuff and I love space and going to the moon and the whole Apollo uh, mission program. Super cool stuff. And the centerpiece of this episode, the whole driving force of, um, of Philip's angst about his own meaning and purpose in life is the Apollo space program and the Apollo moon landing in 1969. So that's just a cool, a cool centerpiece for the episode. And I think that, um, Philip's character has a lot to, um, a, a lot to sort of empathize with as you watch this, because the questions that he's asking himself are ones that to a greater or lesser extent, perhaps, but are ones that everyone I think asks themselves at some point, right? Have I lived up to my potential? Have I done enough good in the world? Have I done what I'm supposed to do uh, or have I sort of squandered the opportunities that I've been given? And, uh, and, and I speak for myself. I've certainly asked those questions, probably not to quite a like searching and melancholic extent that he does in the episode, but I can still empathize with the impulses that he embodies and sort of gives life to in the show. For sure. um, and so, so I thought that was really, really well done. And again, with the moon landing as a centerpiece of that, I thought it was remarkable. And I also loved how the show answered that question. So, you know, you, you might have expected it, it, it to sort of end in a, in a way that he finds solace and that he is indeed the Duke of Edinburgh. And that alone, just the momentous mantle that he carries with, you know, the weight of the public eye on him, et cetera, that alone is worth something. And maybe he would find solace in that. But that's not actually the way the show goes at all. He... He ends up having a private audience with the three Apollo astronauts when they come to Britain. He sits with them. He has 15 minutes with them. And he asks them questions. You know, what was it like, et cetera. Um, and he's, at, he's expecting, expecting these like very weighty um, answers. Uh, as he, I think, says, you know, basically, I, I thought them uh, as almost gods. And uh, they are um, <laughs> kind of quintessentially American. Like there's nothing, there's nothing impressive about these guys at all they're they're technocrats they talk about their checklists that they do well, on their young. check rides they're young they're military guys um you don't get the impression and and this this probably misportrays them a little bit i think they were maybe slightly deeper thinkers than the show made them out to be but i mean they were not philosophers and and they were i mean they were military guys and technocrats and engineers um and so he's really sort of taken aback by the lack of depth there and he realizes that what he what he thought was the case is not actually the case and that there's, there's meaning to be had elsewhere. And so, um, you know, as the show, as the episode goes on, he ends up finding solace in Dean Robin Woods, who's basically the chaplain to the Royal family. Um, and this group of, of clergymen that he has rallied around, uh, himself at, at a, at a center for spiritual renewal where they can come there as sort of priests hitting a midlife crisis or a point of fatigue or overexertion and sort of rest and recharge and, and share experiences and um, support each other. And so Philip is very rude to this group at one point in the show and then comes back and, and apologizes and is very humble and lays out all of his own self-doubts and struggles um, and basically asks for help. Yeah, quite a transformation. It's a huge transformation. And I think the beautiful thing is that he doesn't, he doesn't end up answering his question with, you know, I need to be important, but I already am important. I just didn't see it. He actually ends his his quest with realizing that he's asking the wrong question 
and and he goes to this group and says, you know, I, I need help. So this is why I love this episode so much. I do think there's a little bit of a missed opportunity and this goes along with my MVP. So my MVP, I think for this one, I would have to give to Philip uh, because number one, his acting is so good and, and he just does a very good job sort of drawing the viewer in into his mind without articulating everything he's thinking at all times. You, you can sort of follow along as he's um, as he's making facial expressions and 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 watching things and you're just you're just piecing together what's going on in his mind and it's only in the end in that scene with all the clergymen that he really tells us everything that, he, that he's been thinking but the missed opportunity i think is that i would have given the mvp to um the man who plays dean robin woods that's tim mcmullen um but i think his acting really falls flat in this episode he, he really plays a like pretty flat uh two-dimensional character um, who is really only there for Philip to talk at. Um, and the few words that he does say are like very empty platitudes that really don't say much of anything at all. So I think he could have been a much better foil um, and sort of educator for Philip. Um, but in, in this case, he was not. So that's my one quibble with the episode. And because of that, I give the uh, MVP to Philip. But um, that's my favorite. Okay, so of what I've seen, my favorite is episode four, Bubbikins. And that is where uh, Prince Philip's mother is uh, retrieved from Greece where things are not going well for her as a nun. Um, She's a very uh, giving and charitable woman who's started a convent and gives and just lives in poverty and takes care of people um, there in Greece. And so um, they, they get, they, they, move her from Greece back to England where she'll be safe and where she eventually dies, I guess not sure shortly thereafter. But, um, I, I didn't know anything about this story at all. My only impression of his mother was from like season one or two where they suggested that she was crazy. And then we just get this whole backstory, which I just found completely fascinating. And for at least for, for most of the episode, Philip doesn't even go to see his mother. Um, and which is incredibly sad, but I love the second half of the episode where the journalist is trying to kind of, um, well, he's, he's really working to expose the Royal family and making them kind of a laughing stock of the British people with their attempts to connect with the British people through their documentary. And then he accidentally interviews Philip's mother and finds out her incredibly sad and and in inspiring life story of overcoming abuse and misunderstanding and then devoting her life to serving God and other people. And it's only at that moment when that story is published that Philip comes into the room. And this is definitely my favorite moment for that episode, at least. Um, And he just realizes that he's misunderstood his mother, his entire life. And they're both so generous to each other and so loving. And she's, they're both so forgiving and humble and it's just an incredible moment, especially when in the entire episode, I was just like, Prince Philip is terrible in this. He's just so selfish. So he just only cares about how he looks to the British people. And then he's so humble at the end. And I think that's kind of that start starts his faith journey that leads to episode seven with the moon landing episode. Um, And so I definitely give the MVP in that case to, uh, his to the journalist really <laughs> i guess because <laughs> we wouldn't have gotten to that part like Bubba or his mother is amazing um and but she's she's just so humble and just like she would be content to just pray in her room all day and 
you know, she doesn't go to seek out Philip either, but it's this journalist who just like is digging in the water. And I mean, Anne too, she's the one who sets it up. Um, so I'm not sure, I guess I'm torn between those two, but I think the journalist, because he's the one who just highlights how wonderful, and I love how he calls her the, the, what is it, The Royal Saint. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, so that's my favorite episode so far. It's a good one for me. My, the MVP in that episode would actually be Philip for, okay. for sort of completing the circle for the viewer at the end Yeah, and coming back to his mother and reading the article out loud to her and then apologizing basically. Yeah. It was it, so beautiful. And, and I'll use this to just jump into my favorite moment. So my favorite moment in the, in the season that I've seen so far comes from this episode. And it's, uh, it's that, you know, the reconciliation between them, but uh, more specifically when Philip and um, Alice are walking together arm in arm mm. into the garden. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful moment. There's no words. Uh, Elizabeth looks out the window and sees this happening, um, but they're just walking arm in arm. And you're just thinking about all the lost time that mother and son have had, but how they're reconciled again and spending what little time they do have together and it's just it's such a beautiful and uh tear-jerking moment yeah do you guys have any other favorite moments it's good uh there's so many good ones i think the one that stands out the most to me is there's this scene uh in imbroglio going back to that episode again where prince charles is going to one of his commanding officers and they're meeting in this big like stately office and Charles walks in and he sits in a chair facing his commanding officer who's sitting behind a desk and they're conversing and there's kind of a lull in the conversation and Charles looks over to the wall and there's this huge painting on the wall Like it's as big as a human. It's as big as Charles and it's towering over him. And it's just an oil painting of his mom. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. And it's just such an incredible moment. And I remember commenting the first time we watched it before the filmmakers even make us draw attention to it, like, or before they even film Charles looking at it, as soon as Charles walks in, I go, oh, my God, look at that huge picture <laughs> of the queen right there. I said that to Catherine and then she's like, oh, totally. And I think that just speaks to me. You know, I remember in one of our earlier conversations about the crown, you know, for me, the main character is the crown. And I think that painting, even though Elizabeth is in there, it symbolizes the towering weight and imposing nature of this institution that they're a part of and none of them can get away from it. Yeah. It's beyond any one person. It's beyond any one person. So I, 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 I love that. Yeah. There's a scene in the very last episode between Queen Elizabeth and Margaret. Um, Margaret, essentially almost overdoses Wow! and Queen Elizabeth um, goes to see her. And there's just this moment between the two of them. And, you know, Queen Elizabeth is just like, well, if you wanted me to pretend what it would be like to not live without you for one minute, well, it was unbearable. So don't do that again, (laughs) basically. But it was just a very 
I think there's just really small moments like that throughout the season, like between, you know, whether it's between like Charles and Anne, their sibling relationship, but also Queen Elizabeth and Margaret, like they really, you know, as much as Queen Elizabeth loves Philip, like she really does love Margaret and, and wants her to be happy. And I just really enjoyed that moment between sisters. That sounds like a good one. I have to give an honorable mention to Aberfan at the end, one of those, again, slow uh, scenes with the camera where uh, the queen is listening to the people of Aberfan sing at mm-hmm. the gravesides of all the people who died in the mudslide. And she's just trying to cry and a tear comes, comes down her face. That was beautiful. And again, just one of those where I just couldn't look away. And I also have an honorable mention to the prime minister at the beginning of the season. I think it's Harold McMillan. He just seemed like he was going to be a lackluster, just flat character. And he just, at least in the episodes that I've seen with him, he would just come in at the right moments and just, he was so bold and courageous in the way he spoke to, to Elizabeth. And um, it just, reminded me a little bit of Winston Churchill and just how sometimes the prime minister had to have some harsh words or just to to have a little bit of gumption in his conversations with the queen. And I thought he, he pulled through at the right moments. I love Macmillan. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and the show <laughs> sets it up. I like didn't expect that I would. He's not a KGB spy after all. It's right, crazy. right. That was funny too. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, also there's another small moment that's really beautiful when Macmillan and the queen first meet each other in like the queen's kind of receiving room uh he like he he starts like he it's like a non sequitur he's like it must feel really weird and she's like what What (laughs) like like seeing your face on all the money and she's just like wait what and he's like yeah it must be kind of weird right and she's like yeah and it was weird seeing my dad's face like for the first time on money and and i just love there's so many quirky fun moments in this season that are just ugh, fantastic television did you have a favorite moment sally oh overall yeah um you had the two honorable mentions right I think, I mean, I said my favorite moment of Bubikins was when Prince Philip comes into the room. Oh, so that's your favorite moment. So I think I could say of what I've seen that that is is my favorite moment. I just love how he's just so, he just rushes in there with the newspaper and he just reads it to her and he's just so overcome. I I think it's the first moment too that Philip has, Philip is a sympathetic character in this show. No, because in Aberfan, I liked what he said after he came back from Aberfan and he spoke to Elizabeth and he had a little speech then. And I thought that that just showed a lot of um, emotional depth. Did yeah. You, did you weep? Yeah, that was powerful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I need to, we need to get to watching the last five episodes. Thanks guys for, for wetting our yeah. appetite. For yeah, those. Anything we missed on uh, the, the rest of the season? I do think that the prime minister storylines throughout are, do end up being interesting. They're interesting because it's not just one. There's, too. <laughs> well, it's not as monolithic as right. like you had Churchill and then uh who is the guy who came like before and after Churchill for a little oh, bit? Anthony Eden. Eden? Uh, yes, yes, right. Yeah. So it's like those two guys were kind of like monolithic in their characterization and kind of how we think of them in a way. Um but 
but these these other guys i had no context for them Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting to see their characters play out like i i totally agree with Catherine. like it's fun to watch it because you don't know what to expect Mm -hmm. i I will say my final comment on on the season is that i really miss tommy lassels (laughs) he was just the right hand guy yeah he was such a great character (laughs) he was good he was good yeah yeah her other right hand guys right now are just a little boring yeah tommy lassels was like he's like the guy that you tried to outsmart and work around and you never could he always knew what you were up to you're great. totally right i think there's a really funny moment i think it's in the first like couple of episodes yeah, he is in one episode but just as a flashback right yes i think so but there's a funny moment where philip is like he looks at this i don't know exactly if he's like a tommy lassels replacement or whatever but I think he's just some sort of helper guy. And Philip looks at him and is like, where's the bald one? <laughs> and like, like, who the heck are you? Oh, and I remember that. Old guys, <laughs> I remember like, that. It's something like that. And yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tommy was legit though. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. <clears throat> well, I think that's all we have guys. Um, I will ask you though, real quick. Have you seen the Paul Rudd show on Netflix living with yourself? no mm, you should check Ooh, it out yes you should watch it we, we think we might do an episode on that yeah we've been into it lately okay. so we'll leave that as a recommendation for you we'll, we'll just leave that right there and drop the mic and you guys can check it out and let us know if you want to come back on the podcast to and talk discuss about, it with us talk yes. about the show sounds great sounds <laughs> great i do enjoy paul rudd so. I'll, uh, I'll just give you a little little teaser here it involves paul rudd playing himself and a, well playing a, a character named miles and miles's clone so there's two Paul Rudds throughout. <laughs> so double, double it's the Paul Rudd. <laughs> double the Paul Rudd factor. Double it's fantastic. Double yeah, double Rudd. Exactly. And uh, and his co-star um, in the show, her name is Kate, and she's an Irish actress. Uh, and her name is Aisling Bia, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But she's fantastic, and Sally and I have been really blown away with her performance. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's it's not. It's not super easy to outshine Paul Rudd, but I think she does it in the show. So you have to watch it and let us know what you think. I mean, that sounds great. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Vernacular Podcast. If you uh, think we missed something and you want to write in, Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. If you have some comments uh, for Jordan and Catherine, just pass them to us and we'll be sure to pass those on as well. Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. All right. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week.